Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Hello. Okay. Well, very good morning to you. My name's Steph. I'm also one of the pastors here. And um, we're going to be uh, we're in a series and going through the book of James. We're up to James chapter 4. We'll have a look at a text in just a moment. And... Um, just to say, there will be opportunity, please do feel the freedom to ask questions as we go through here. It's ever so important you understand as best you can, um, as best we all can, um, the words of God and uh, that any misunderstandings are cleared up and, and that we're really looking to learn, engage with scripture, engage with the word of God, learn and grow as a result. I'd be lying to you if I said to you that what I'm about to preach fits in really well with where we've been going over this praise time. It's not one of those ones, I'm afraid. Um, but there you go, it is what it is. And um, um, if, if, you, if you're a note taker, and if you want to um, give a title to this sermon. Yeah, no, would, if you want to write down the title for the sermon, it would be Spiritual Adultery and the Road to Restoration. Okay, So we're going to uh, read together. The first 10 verses of James chapter 4, I'm assuming they're going to come up on the screen. Um, We're going to just read verses 1 to 10. Um, This is the ESV, so why don't we just read it all together, shall we, out loud? It's good to uh, take the words of Scripture on our lips and read them together, so here we go. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You cover and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Wow. Let's pray. Father, we want to engage with your word with integrity. We want to engage with your word with humility. We want to engage with your word with intentionality. We want to engage with your word with the devotion and with the singleness of mind and heart that you deserve. And I pray, Lord, that as I open up these verses, that you would work in wonderful power by your spirit to deliver us 
and to deliver us in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. If any of us, Lord, find ourselves somewhat compromised, somewhat hindered in our race with you, on the back foot, trapped, we pray for the work of your spirit to deliver us this morning as the word is preached. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These are strong words as we've got used to over the last few weeks with James. Let me explain to you the structure of how this passage seems to work. We've got the first five verses which really do, uh, maybe we can keep the scriptures up. Is that okay, Rosie? Thank you. The first five verses which really do um, lay out the condition of spiritual adultery, which we'll talk about as we get into it. Verse six is the hinge verse. Okay. It really is the hinge verse. So verse 6 um, says, as we see here, but he gives more grace. And then maybe, uh, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then verse 7 to 10 is really the road out. The road out of spiritual adultery, worldliness, whatever you want to call it. So we're going to get into this stuff. I would say that... Um, uh, if you read Christian books from decades ago, probably 50 years and older, you'll find a lot of talk about worldliness and this kind of thing. Um, um, uh, there's a, there's a, it's, it's, it's standard fare in terms of Christian literature. You'll find very, very little now. Um, and that, even that is in and of itself interesting. All of us are uh, products of our culture, the particular age that we live in. We, um, we are, none of us are objective. None of us are outside of the culture that we're in. We're all shaped uh, by various things. And I would say that one of the ways that James particularly is a tonic for us is that he speaks in very strong ways along certain themes that Christians in the West today tend to completely ignore. We tend to completely overlook. You won't find much talk of it in songs or sermons or books. So that's really, really helpful because it means that it keeps us from becoming a caricatured by the culture that we live in. Does that make sense? It keeps us from going into the, really just following behind uh, the world. The church is normally about 10 years behind the world, unfortunately. Um, so we're shocked at certain things that happen in the world and then we find ourselves 10 or 20 years time doing um, and uh, supporting the same things tends to be what happens. So we're in for a good wake-up call today, as ever, with James. He starts by, interestingly, looking at the quality of their relationships together. There's quarreling and fighting in the churches. It's really interesting that that's where he starts, and then from there he digs this extraordinarily deep spiritual well to get to the bottom of it. But he's looking on face value There's a problem, and the problem is in the relationships, in that there's quarreling and fighting. Now my observation is, is that um, uh, in different cultures that manifests in different ways. In very expressive, passionate cultures that manifests in shouting, um, and, and gesticulating and dramatic situations. Sorry, this mic's lead was not made for my preaching style. Um, in, in our part of the world, I want to suggest to you that for the most part, quarreling and fighting looks like distance, resentment, muttering under one's breath, and not giving ourselves to one another. It's the same spirit. It's the same thing. It's the same spiritual thing that's gone on in the heart. But it manifests in different ways culturally. You can, be, you can manifest anger just as much by sulking as you can by striking someone. In both ways you are, you are, you are inflicting damage on that other person. 
by the way that you are relating to them. So James is looking at the relationships within the church and he's saying, here's what's wrong. And he, he, um, he in verses 1 and 2 and 3, he outlines, I would say, two, two symptoms, two things that are going on and two causes. And so he looks particularly at the symptom of fighting, quarreling, murder. Um, I don't know whether they were actually murdering one another. I don't know whether that was actually going on. It's possible. Or it could be that he's taking some of Jesus' teaching about if you even hate your brother in your heart, you've murdered him. It could be that he's taking that and using it as a spiritual idea. But he's saying there's some symptoms among you in terms of something that's going wrong among you. The first symptoms are this relational breakdown. And the cause of it he describes as passionate, covetous desires. Human beings are creatures of desire. You're driven by what we long for. Um, preached on this many times and will continue to by God's grace until the day I die because I think it's such a key and I think it's something we often miss. Um, we are, we are our, our life choices, are, unless we are physically constrained, for the most part, our life choices are dictated to by what we want. Therefore, to have an understanding of what's going on in your heart, what the various desires are, is absolutely key because it will determine where you put your time, where you put your money, where you put your energy. And it sometimes is a hard thing to do to ask yourself and then answer honestly. It can expose all kinds of things that you didn't know were there. James is saying, you are full of desires that are covetous, passions that are covet. The idea of coveting is basically the same word as lust. Um, and it's that you desire something so much you lose your peace over it. That's, that's what it is. Do not covet. Do not desire something so much that you lose your peace over it. Your neighbor's husband, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's car, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's lifestyle, your neighbor's body. Do not desire something so much that you find yourself bent out of shape by it. You're in covetousness if that's where you find yourself. And he's saying, you guys, you're, you're full of this and it's, and it's out of control. And then the second symptom or the second cause is prayerlessness and then wrong praying. And the cause is worldliness. He says, you, he says you, you're full of these desires because you, you, you've got so much lack in your lives. And he says, well, you haven't got because you, because you haven't asked. And he says, and then when you do ask, you don't get it. Why? Because your asking is all wrong. Some people say there's no such thing as wrong praying. There is such thing as wrong praying. The Bible is clear there's such thing as wrong praying. Why is there such thing as wrong praying? Because God is a good father. And no good father in their right mind gives their kids everything they ask for. Parents, is there such thing as wrong asking? Aunties, uncles, is there such thing as wrong asking? Grandparents, is there such thing? <laughs> Grandparents say no. What are they like? Parents know not everything can be a yes. Uh, can be a yes. There was a, I have a certain relative, and we laugh about it now, so it's fine. But we would put our children in in her care for a weekend, and we didn't recognise what she returned. It was a situation where the kids had essentially gone wild. Everything we put in over eight or nine years had been totally undone in a weekend as a result of one of my relatives and their wild streak. And we laugh and we joke about it now. But this is that as a parent, you know not everything's going to be a yes. Why? You, because you love your kids too much to give them everything they ask for. Of course, there's such a thing as wrong praying. It's not a slot machine, it's your father. 
Yeah, it's not formulas. It's a relationship. He says, you're asking is all wrong. You want to spend it on your passions. You want to spend it on your covetous desires. Your heart's all wrong, full of covetous desires. You ask God to give you more. Why? So you can spend it on that. No way. He loves you too much. He does not want you to be trapped by that. He does not want you to be trapped by that. God doesn't just set us free from things. He sets us free to himself. Freedom, freedom from certain things, so then becoming slave to something else. That's not freedom. He sets us free from these covetous desires that we might be that we might be set free to love Him. That's the point. It's not just freedom. It's freedom to give ourselves to Him and find life in all of its fullness. So James is coming in really, really strong, as ever. What is worldliness? He says to them, he says, uh, he says to them, spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What is worldliness? What is the world? Well, here's why it's slightly difficult. In the Bible, the Greek word for world, cosmos, is used in different ways. So John 3.16 God so loved the, come on guys, there we go. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. Does God love the world? Yes. But there, what does the world mean when it's talking about creation, particularly humanity? Because only humanity can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So particularly there, the word is being used to describe humanity in creation. Wonderful, great, and we should love God's creation and humanity, absolutely. But then if we go to 1 John chapter 2, we find the, fr- the term, the world, being used in a very different way. 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is, the desires, the covetous lusts of the flesh, the f- lusts of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not from the Father. It's from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, lusts, coveting. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, elsewhere the term world is used to describe the way that um, our the, the cultures and societies of the world have set themselves up against God with a view to doing our own thing. And it's built on lust and pride. It's built on desires that are out of kilter because they are our chief desires and we were made to chiefly desire him, but we've turned our back on him so it's anything else created. It could be the way you look. It could be someone else. It could be a hobby. It could be a cause, but it's not him. And so the world is built on that, which is why we are constantly being um, impacted, impaled with ideas, thoughts that cause us to lust, to desire, to long for more than what we've got, to lose our peace over it, to lose our contentment, to get ourselves in a muddle. It's the world. It's the world. And James says, if you want to befriend that, you're going to become an enemy of God. And the term used is adultery. Now, as you think, why, why, why that term? Well, it's very straightforward. You find it all through the Old Testament. When the people of Israel turned to idols, it was called adultery. Let me give you a couple of examples so you 
can see where I'm getting at here. So if we look at a few verses in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6 says this. Jeremiah 3, verse 6. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, after she's done all this, she'll return to me. But she didn't return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I'd sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with every stone and tree. What does that mean? Committing adultery with every st- Here's what it means. They would make gods out of stones and wood. And then they would worship them. And God looking on says, that's not just idolatry, that's adultery. Why? Here's why. Because, because in the scriptures, God portrays himself as the lover of his people. And they are his beloved. And suddenly you begin to touch something. If you've ever been in love, if you've ever been in love, and that person has turned on you in some way, has betrayed you, you will begin to touch something of what the Lord himself feels when his people go after other things. This isn't religion in the sense of some external ritualistic idea. This is deep, spiritual, heart stuff. God says, when you go after that stuff, it hurts me. Why? Because I've given myself to you. I love you. James says, if you're going to befriend that, you're putting yourself at odds with God. What does John say? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Maybe some of you here today, you've just sensed, my heart is cooling off. My love for God is cooling off. You've got to ask yourself, have I befriended the world? Ask it. Be brave enough to ask it. Holy Spirit, will show. if the Holy Spirit says no, hallelujah. If he says yes, he'll convict you so you can repent and be restored. Which we're going to look at in a minute. So when you, ter- when you ask God these things, it never ends badly. If your heart is open to him. But it is a sobering moment, a sobering thing that all of us are to do. It's important that we, that we do that. God is a jealous God. What about the story of Hosea? God asks Hosea to marry a prostitute. How about that? Hosea marries a prostitute. Why? So that he can live out the reality of what God has experienced with Israel. This is deep stuff. Of course, we don't, we don't, we don't talk about worldliness anymore. Why? Because we've moved away from legalism. And legalism kind of says, oh, you know, don't wear lipstick, it's worldly, or, you know, I don't know, don't, don't roll your jeans up, it's worldly. Or it, it would, it, it would it operate on these externals, and it would never get to the heart of the thing. You see, and something, we're not interested in that anymore. We, we can wear lipstick and roll our jeans up now. Yeah, of course we can. But th- that, you see, th- that's not the heart. The heart of the thing is this. Is it something, it, it's a spirit. The worldliness is a worldly, it's a spirit. And it's basically, you know, is, it, is what I'm doing, is the way I am expressing myself, is it built on lust and pride? Is it going, is it going to bring others into lust? Is it going to help? If the answer is no, then it's probably a worldly thing. You see, it's, it's, it, it, we've moved away, we've moved beyond all of that, oh, you mustn't wear lipstick, great, brilliant. 
But we mustn't move from that into a total kind of uh, ignorance of the reality of spiritual things and the subtlety of it. And, and so that we make sure that we live lives built on love, not lives built on lust. We build, we build our lives as believers that's going to help others grow in love, not trap them in lust. It's caring, it's careful. And we're not going to be in that spirit. It's a different spirit. It's foreign, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's oil and water. You can't do both. Friends of one, enemy with the other. Cannot be friends of both. It's very straightforward. And then, and then so we've got the hinge verse here. Verse 6, the hinge verse. But he gives more grace. Because you're tempted and you go, what do we do? But he gives more grace. Only grace can transform us. Only grace can so work in us that we think, I want to live for the glory of God and for the good of others. Only grace can liberate us from the powerful grip of selfish ambition, covetousness and these things. Only grace can do it because grace breaks into our lives, comes by the love of God and it shows us, it shows us that God wants to lavish favour on us that's completely undeserved and empower us with the power of his Holy Spirit that's completely undeserved so we can actually walk out of the shadows and into the light. That's what the grace of God does. The grace of God is shown to us in Christ Jesus. God, when we are t- all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all of us have turned from him. What does God do? He gives his one and only son. He gives his best. So that as we're off on our way doing our own thing, there's this cry behind us, this cry of love, this cry of grace, this offer of mercy and free forgiveness. It's the gospel, friends. It's what's changed our life, this amazing message. While we were sinners, while we were helpless, Christ died for us. Why? Not because he had to. God never has to do anything. You hear that? Imagine that. Never been obligated to do a thing. Totally free in his sovereignty. Utterly free. He gives Christ out of love. Free love. Which means when you respond to Christ, you you just come into the love of God. You come into the experience of God's love poured into your life in a transforming way. I tell you, God wants to change and transform lives here this morning by the gospel. Totally. Some of you who would already have called yourselves Christians, but you've had your feet in both camps. It's time to come to Christ and experience the transforming power of God's grace. And others of you have maybe never, never nailed your colors to the mask, never bowed the knee. I tell you, bow the knee to Jesus. That is the root and the only root to freedom. Breaking off all constraints is not freedom. It simply leads you into more and more slavery to appetites within you. Only Christ brings freedom. But there's a posture for receiving grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Not in terms of, oh, I'm humble. I'm humble. God will give me grace. No, no, no. The humility is when you just go, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to bring to the party. I've got nothing to offer. This is not a negotiation. It's not a deal. It's not a conversation. I'm bringing nothing. In fact, that's what I am bringing, my total lack. And he comes and brings his fullness in Jesus Christ, grace upon grace. When you're empty, you can receive. When you're full of all kinds of other things, philosophies, ideas, covetous desires, there's no space in you for the grace of God. When you recognize, I'm just done, grace comes in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's six things he says. I'm not going to do loads of minutes on each of them. Don't panic. But there's six things he says. 
that unpack. What does it look like to receive grace, to come out of this kind of compromise? Here we go. Number one, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. You want to see what it looks like to submit to God? There it is right there. Not my will, but yours be done. If anyone tells you that you can give your life to Jesus and experience forgiveness and carry on as you are, as captain of your destiny, they are not telling you the truth. Okay, they're lying to you. Only once you've been conquered by Jesus can you conquer with Jesus. You have to let him conquer you. Let him be your Lord, as Rich was saying earlier. It opens it. You think, oh, it seems like a small door, a narrow door. It's, God, dear. Yeah, it is. Jesus said, Jesus said that the, the, the way that leads to life is narrow and few find it. But I tell you, once you walk through it, it is an ocean of spaciousness, of glory, of joy, of wonder, of hope, of blessing, of forgiveness. It is a, the, the, the psalmist says, you've brought me out to a spacious place. It's absolutely glorious. But that's the way in. On your knees, submitted to Christ. Empty, Lord, fill me. Bang, he does it. He does it. So submit to God. Number two, resist the devil. That means that anything that you know, this is dark, this is unrighteous, this is oppressive, this is twisted, that you begin to say, Lord, I, I do not want to be friends with this anymore, but I don't have the power in myself to overcome it. Now fill me with your spirit because I want to resist it. I want to resist darkness and walk in the light. I don't want, I want to stop hiding, stop pretending, stop appearing to be one thing and being something else. It's all darkness and it's all twisted. Lord liberates us to be who we are, whoever we're with. Wow, is that freedom. To be able to stand in the presence of God as you are and know because he's clothed you in the righteousness of Jesus, you can come just as you are and be 100% accepted 24-7 in the presence of a holy God. That's extraordinary. And then from that place, from being able to stand in the throne room of God, you can stake your stand before any person and not have to pretend to be something else. Woo! You haven't got to come to church, put on some kind of church personality. God spare us from such a horrific idea. We can be ourselves with God's people because we can be ourselves with God. Walking in, walk in the light does not mean being perfect. It means confessing your sins. Not hiding, not pretending. Saying, yeah, I constantly need help. I need blood, need Jesus' blood on me every hour. Even when I'm not doing something terrible, there's no way I'm loving him and my neighbor anywhere near as I should. I want to walk in mercy and grace. I'm going to resist those, seriously resist the darkness. Number three, resist the devil. Submit to God, resist the devil. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I've been doing that all this morning. Just drawing near, taking the time to draw near, really. See, he sees the heart. And when you draw near, he draws near. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. <laughs> it's crazy, <great>, okay. <laughs> Cleanse your hands. In the Bible, when you've got blood on your hands, it basically means the way you're living, you're just causing harm. You're causing harm. You're treading down others. 
by what you're saying, by what you're doing, by what you're not saying. You've got blood on your hands. You're causing harm instead of building up. Cleanse your hands. Take responsibility. Okay? If, you're in, if, you, if what you're doing in work, in home, behind closed doors, online, you've got blood on your hands, okay? Cleanse your hands. Okay? Seriously. So I don't know how to cut them off then. Not literally, but cut them off then. Jesus said, deal with it. Okay? Serious stuff. Not playing games. This is serious stuff. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify means leave your hearts after two things. No, no, no. What are, you, what are we about? Every day you've got to decide, what am I about? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what we're about. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's the journey. Constantly discovering things in our heart that are going after other things, bringing it to the light, confessing to God, asking for forgiveness, being strengthened to continue on that pilgrimage, that incredible journey that we're on to the, to the new heavens and the new earth. But it's reality. Lord, deal with me. Deal with me. I'm, 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 I'm after that. I'm after, Lord, help me. And then this, this next one, this, this is a bit surprising. I think verse 9 really is, is a detail of what verse 10 looks like. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Certainly not going to win this service with a happy song, are we? Um, humble yourselves before the Lord. Right. So all through the Bible, these manifestations, being wretched and mourning and weeping and mourning and joy, to, that was, they were all, when you, when you were convicted of sin, okay, by the Holy Spirit, you go, ah, Lord. You feel it. It's real. Feel it, okay? It's not oh, I was fine the blood. No, you feel it. I've been out of order. I've been duplicitous. I've lied. Ah. Okay. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Okay, that's not legalism. That's not anti-gospel. It's the process of going ah, because when you mourn deeply and you repent deeply. The cleansing and the forgiveness and the freedom the Lord brings goes deeply. And sometimes we're in danger of our wounds being healed too lightly. And we don't learn. You say, why, am I, why am I here again? Your wound was healed too lightly. Let it go deep. Let the sword go deep. That the mercy comes deep. Okay. That's when you begin to experience deliverance. <laughs> I'm not in that anymore. I remember once the Lord convicted me of a decision I made. I made it due to trying to please people. It's often what it is with me. Trying to please people. And then I began to see the consequences of it. I was out praying one morning and, and the Spirit of God just cornered me. It was a painful, beautiful thing. It hurt. But it wasn't like that. The devil's accusations, condemnation, oh, I'm rubbish. It wasn't No, no, no. God, as my loving father, cornered me on a specific area where I'd sinned. Why? So that I could repent. Why? So that he could cleanse me and forgive me. Why? So that I wouldn't do the same thing again. Here's the key. Humble yourselves before the Lord. What, and, and what? He will exalt you. He will lift you up. 
The good news today is we do not need to exalt ourselves. We do not need to somehow show what we're like. And, oh, I'm as good. Oh, oh, I'm better than, no. Hallelujah. In the gospel, all of our mouths are stopped. None of that boasting nonsense. No, we stop all of that. We stand before God. We humble ourselves before the cross. God comes in his mercy, brings forgiveness, adoption, and then enthrones us with Christ. You can't get any higher than that. We were singing about Jesus has been given the name of every name. Isn't Look where he is. Well, the Bible says we have been seated with him in heavenly places. God's desire to exalt us is extraordinary, magnanimous, generous, sublime, absolutely, totally unpredictable. His plan and aim is to exalt. We don't need to stress and spend all that energy trying to show other people how good we are. Because we're not good and we don't need to. And God can raise us up and it will be by mercy and grace. And when he does it, you won't be vulnerable to pride. You'll just know, God, God put me here. God's given me this influence. God's done it. That's a beautiful, liberating place to live. Hallelujah. I want to end by going back to Genesis 3. The devil said to Adam and Eve, come on, look, look. Trying to get their covetous desires. Look at the fruit. And then trying to get them to it. You'll be just like God. Come on. Covetous desires. Exalt yourselves. They fell for it. The result is every bit of darkness we've ever seen on the planet comes back to that. Jesus comes, shows us another way. Trust in God gone on a little bit too long it's to do it's because of the mic handover otherwise I would have been on time (laughs) let's just have a moment strong message today it had to be strong if we were going to preach the text I don't know how you preach this text without preaching strong I've got to let James speak or let the Holy Spirit speak through James I just want to urge you Those of you that are my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we're on this journey together. Hallelujah. We've been born again. Let's let's do it. If we're going to do it, let's do it. (gasps) Let's go for it. Let's just go for it and, and have stories of his faithfulness. Let's not give way to fear, to pride, to all those things. Let's go for it. Receive fresh grace. He gives more grace. Receive fresh grace today. And those of you that have never known the grace of God, we're going to have a moment of silent prayer now. In that moment, I want to urge you. I want to urge you to give your life to Jesus Christ. To confess, say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I believe you died for me, that you rose again, and I want you to be my Lord. As you do that, he will come and meet you. He will come and meet you. The Bible says if you do that, you'll be saved. He, you'll know. I'm different. Something's happened. Yeah, you've been, he's come and met you. You've been born again. And then we would love to help you, to disciple you, to encourage you, to help you get into the life of the church. But it starts with you and him. You call out to him, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Please forgive me. He will come and do that. And then your faith will not be based on the wisdom of men. It'll be based on the power of God. God has met with you, and you know you'll never be the same again. So let's just take a moment together. To pray. Tell God. Tell him. Tell him what's going on. Tell him where his word has spoken to you today. Tell him what you want to do about it.
Lord, please deliver us from a weakened, diluted, sanitized Christianity. Lord, a Sunday Christianity. A, a, a prosperity Christianity. A, a weak and double-minded Christianity. Lord, all of us struggle with all of those things. <laughs> Thank you, we can be honest. But we want to pray to you today. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us freshly? Would you fill us in power? Lord, would you bring cleansing where it needs to come? Would you bring forgiveness and cleansing? Would you bring salvation where it needs to come? Would you bring deliverance where it needs to come? Would you bring your mercy into our lives freshly this morning? Lord, let your power break out and move among us. I pray, Lord. We're trying to just... Let your word speak, not add to it, not take away. Now we pray, come and own your word with signs and wonders. Come and own your word, Lord, I pray with anointing. Come and own your word, Lord God, with activity from your spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.